Let's open the meeting in our usual way with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, well, welcome to our annual women's meeting. Um, one of the great pleasures that I get to do as a, as a co-chair is choose the speakers. So, um, I, I mean, I'm thrilled about them who who's going to be speaking today. Um, I'm only going to read the preamble today. We're not going to do our usual readings to give them, each of them, time to have 20 minutes to tell their story. So I'm just going to read the preamble, and then I'll introduce our speakers. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So I'm Sharon, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, everyone. And today, um, in this order, we're going to have the following speakers. Um, Kim um, is going to be the first speaker, followed by Lily, and followed by Alice. And, um, and it's kind of wonderful how these speakers just appeared to me. I've been working um, directly with, with both Kim and Lily all year. Um, Kim is the chair of archives for this conference as well as for central office. And she's just, she's done that remarkable job downstairs and it's just been a delight to get to know her. And Lily, I've worked with on the conference in previous years and she's on our advisory board. And, and both the, I haven't heard any of these stories, so there's a, a reason I wanted to have all these women so I could hear their stories. And Alice, I ran into, I've, I've known her also through this conference. Um, she was acting, is active in service, and um, and I saw her in Living Sober for years. So um, I ran into her at Frameline, and the first thing I said to her is, hi, would you speak at the Living Sober? <laughs> and she graciously said, yes, even though they are leaving for Ireland on Monday. So, yeah. So thank you all. And I'm going to leave the stage now, and I'm going to turn it over to Kim. Hi, I'm Kim. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, this is really intimidating. So um, I have, uh, just to set your expectations really low, out of these three speakers, I have the least amount of time. So, you know, don't expect too much. Uh, you know, um, when Cher asked me to speak, I, I was like, oh, you know, like the way I never want to do anything when they ask me to, right? But I know that I, that I have to be of service. It was like taught to me really early on that to be of service is, is what we do here. And um, AA's given me a life that I never had before. So I'm, I say yes. And um, so before I start, I, I just want to read this small paragraph, just more like for myself <laughs> from the book, just so I can remind myself, you know, what my purpose is here. Um, 
So it's from working with others. Your job now is to be at the place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand. Keep on the firing line of life with these motives, and God will keep you unharmed. So I'm hoping my higher power will keep me unharmed for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm just your regular garden variety drunk. I fucking love booze. I love, I love to drink. I love the way it makes me feel. I, and and that, that's like it makes me not feel, you know? And I love that, you know? I never really had, like, good experiences drinking. I blacked out from the beginning. But, uh, you know, by the time I took my first drink and uh, by the time I had my first drunk, uh, I really needed it. You know, I, I was a... I'm a nervous adult, so I was a nervous kid, fucking really nervous. I was really small. I had, um, uh, my mom suffered from, this is not why I'm drunk. I'm just giving you, like, a background of my, my history. You know, like, my mom suffered from untreated mental illness. My father is an alcoholic who left when I was really young. So uh, I had a really difficult time trying to understand my mom's um, different personality shifts. And it was, it was stressful. So, I mean, I fucking needed that drink. I, I'm sorry, I curse a lot. But, uh, you know, one time I was doing H&I in the psych ward, and the psych patient told me I cursed too much. So that's when you know you curse too much. But uh, anyway, so I, I really needed that drink, you know, because I didn't, I needed something to get me through the day uh, at school, to wake up, to want to, like, go out of my room, and um, it was a really abusive childhood. So, yeah, I was afraid of everything, you know? And I still have um, some fear in me, but thank God, you know, not, not that same kind of fear. So that fear and, and, you know, when you fear everything, you begin to, like, hate everything. So by the time I, like, you know, uh, was coming into AA, I fucking hated everything everybody and everything. I mean, babies, markets, you know, like people, like every, women, men, because I, I hated myself, you know? It was too fucking much. And uh, I carried all that weight from my childhood and all that, that weight from school and never quite fitting in. I still feel like that, but I think we all feel like that. But now I know that because I hear you guys all say that too. Even though I don't believe you, you know, uh, I think it's worse for me uh, because I'm special. So, uh, you know, but um, yeah, so I needed that drink. And uh, when I drank, I would always do, I didn't have good consequences. I would always have these really horrific things that would happen, you know, and um, it didn't stop me, you know. It still felt better than living. You know, it felt better than, than living. And I remember being really young and not wanting to live, you know. And I don't think that I, I know is not normal now, you know. But uh, so I really feel deep in my heart that drugs and alcohol saved my life. You know, if it wasn't for drugs and alcohol, I wouldn't be here today. You know, and, and I, I luckily, you know, I was able to still, you know, get a get a college degree, get a graduate's degree, and, you know, like, do things in life, but I never was really present, you know, and I still, I did it with all this other stuff, like, occupying, like, every 
single space in my head, you know? I did it with so much resentment and, and so much fear and so much of the past just carrying with me everywhere. Um, you know, I had, I had attempted suicide in the early 2000s and they told me to go to AA. And so that was my first introduction to AA and I started to go, but I just, I wasn't ready. You know, I, I had a problem with the language, I had a problem just like Marty Mann with God, you know, I, I didn't throw the book out the window so dramatically, but you know, I just said, fuck this, you know, I don't want to do this. And um, I did more research and uh, I went back out there and there's no way I can, like I know no matter what, if I take a drink, I, it, it'll be the end of me. I know that for sure. There's not even a doubt in my head that I won't even get high. I know it. I won't even get, because I tried, you know? I tried after a period. And I just, I just know it. It's so clear to me now. And that was never possible before. So what, this last time when I came in, I mean, I was, was complete surrender. I was just ready. And, you know, so many other times, I could remember even being like a, a teenager. And, you know, I had, I, had, I had been arrested in several places. And, I, you know, it was just my life was chaos all the time. It was like complete chaos for no real good reason, just, you know, irresponsibility. And, you know, I, I just like, yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah, I couldn't deal, I couldn't deal with life. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with life. So when I came in, uh, I was really broken. I was homeless and uh, yeah, I didn't know what I was gonna do and I didn't plan on getting sober. Um, I just knew I could come to AA and people would get off my back and I know I can get free um, cookies and I could sit in the back and nobody would bother me. And I knew if I told people I was going to AA, they'd stay off my back, you know, cause I knew that from coming in before. So I started coming in and it was just my time. It was, it was just my time. Like I heard the crazy people talking and I'm like, I related, you know? Like I, I related, I went, I've, I started at high noon, I was raised at high noon too. And uh, I, I was like, yes, I too shut my pants. Yes, yes, you know what I mean? I did that too. I tried to put my clothes down the toilet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that sounds exactly like me, you know? like. Yes, I stole people's cars too. Yeah, you know, like all those things. And it was actually like people, all those things I had kept hidden that I didn't want people to know about me, they were talking about. And to know that you can talk about that and you get attention and freedom, like what? I'm like, this place is amazing. Like my skills are suddenly useful, you know? Like it was, it was fucking amazing. Uh, so I just stuck around and luckily, I mean, AA is just such a miracle because people just, from the beginning, this is like sad, I mean, it's gonna, it's touching to me. And you know, people just like helped me. They just helped me. Like I didn't have to do anything alone. And um, I had to do everything alone. I had to raise myself alone. I had to help my mom alone. We were, we were on our own, like everything through school, the graduate school, everything was alone. And this was the first time like, um, yeah, I needed help, and it was given to me and offered, you know. God, I never really cry. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so people were just, because I, I look out in this room, and I think of, like, how many people here have helped me. That's amazing, you know, because, um, 
sorry. Because I really, like, didn't want to live. Um, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't want to live, in, and I feel so, like, I'm so grateful because if I would have gone and actually been successful any of the times I tried to take my life, you know, uh, I would have never given myself a chance. Jeez. This is like therapy. Um, I hate therapy. I quit therapy so many times. Anyway, yeah, and now I feel like for the first time in my 43 years, well, I'll be 43 next month, I'm just getting to know who I am, you know? I'm getting to know who I am, what I like, what, what I do, you know? And I'm getting to a chance to, like, really, like, face the trauma of my childhood. And uh, that's a miracle, because, um, yeah, I never thought I could be that kind of strong person. I can do that, you know, and to laugh about it. And, yeah, I feel like I don't have anything to say now, but um, I fucking love AA, you know. God, I, this hasn't happened to me before. God damn it. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I love to work the steps, and I love the history and it's just given me so much. I'm a mess. God damn it. And, uh, you know, I could never repay what AA has given me because it's given me, it's given me a life. It's given me friends. It's given me an opportunity. Thank you. God, I don't even like criers. <laughs> I feel like you're not prepared if you're crying, and I'm not prepared. But anyway, I don't even know what I was talking about, but um, yeah, I love AA, and I work the steps, and I do what they tell me, and I get to have a life, and I get to have friends, and I get to find out more about myself, and now like, I get to find out what I really love so much about my life before it was about proving something, about who I was or who I wasn't, mainly. You know, and like everything was about that, you know, and that's just, I don't have that same motivation now, you know, I don't have anything really to prove, you know, I just get to do what I love. That's like a fucking dream, right? Like I get, I never ever considered like happiness is something that I wanted, like just because it seemed like so unreal, like it seemed like su such a prescription pill kind of idea, you know? I take mental prescription pills, but I mean, it seemed like ones I didn't take that made you happy, you know? It seemed like those I couldn't afford or something. And okay, so uh, yeah, I don't know. AA is just like, it's, it's just giving me so much. And you know, I work with, I work with so many women and um, just the way my sponsors worked with me. and. Uh, that has been, you know, I always, I think deep down in my, in my soul, I've always wanted to do something like for the social good. I was always seeking that out somehow in my big rotten soul somewhere. There was a little small kernel of wanting to do like some kind of social good. And now I get to do that, you know, and it's free and it's just like here and I get to be with all you amazing people and I work with 
so many amazing women. It's like, it's like a dream. It's so amazing. I can't believe my life, you know? And it's not that the circumstances in any way have really changed, you know what I mean? I don't, still Renner, you know, still like, so many things are the same on the outside, but like if you could see my inside, it's completely different. It's so different. My inside looked totally different before. I, I like I just had a friend come in that I, I got sober with and she was an angel. Like if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be sober. She let me live with her rent free for, for three months when I was in early sobriety, right there in the heart next to high noon where, I mean, that's a fucking miracle. I always think I would never let a newcomer live with me, ever. <laughs> never, you know? And she did. And, you know, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be sober. And she's, you know, still trying to get sober, you know? And um, I saw her recently, and we we're walking down the Castro, you know? And we all know each other in the Castro, the country clip, because we see each other every fucking day. And we're, we know and love each other. And we're like, hey, hey, hey. And she's like, oh, my God, Kim, what happened to you? Because she, she remembers me six years ago, you know, when I came in. And she's like, don't you remember how you were? And I'm like, what are you talking? She's like, you were like, fuck you, get away from me. Fuck you, fuck you, you know? And like, I'm like, I don't even feel like I was like that. And so like, like that's the way I rolled through the world, you know? And that's fucking painful. It's painful and it just creates like, like little piles of shit everywhere you go, you know? And that's what people will remember you for. Just the little fucking bad attitude. You know, and, and I feel like now, like, a bad attitude is just my intolerance, right? It's just my intolerance. And uh, so I try not to have a bad attitude, and I try to remember that this program is all about, like, love and service, and that the only way I get to hold on to it is by, by giving it back. And I'm just grateful that I've had an opportunity to do that today. So thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> intimidating up here uh, uh, and I'm happy Kim cried first let's see if I uh, do this without crying I'm a crier too and actually honestly I don't like crying because my nose turns red and I it shows my wrinkles uh, that's why I don't like crying mostly but um, but I'm a cry hi everybody my name is Lily I'm an alcoholic and an addict Hi, uh, and I don't like public speaking. I don't know if that will ever change, but um, things change around here, so I'm open to anything. I don't know what's going to happen now, um, and I'm, that's kind of a miracle to me. Um, it's a miracle to me that I'm here, um, one of the speakers and um, at Living Sober. Uh, it's a miracle that I heard some of Kim's share, uh, and not completely in my own world. And uh, a miracle that uh, actually I wasn't miserable for the whole week or week since Char asked me to speak because uh, that was me before that was me for a really long time uh, I was just caught up in pain emotion anxiety and uh, you know fear and uh, now I, I can get outside of that uh, uh, most often uh, and when I'm not out of it I'm actually looking at it as an opportunity to grow so uh, you know this, uh, crazy stuff happens in AA. Um, so my sobriety date is August 15th, 2011. Um, 
and that date is really, really important to me. Um, uh, I know exactly when I stop taking uh, um, all uh, drugs. Our, drugs are part of my story. I can't tell my story without talking about drugs. So, um, uh, and so I gave up alcohol first, but I know exactly when uh, I got clean, and I know exactly when I got honest, um, and that was two days before I got clean. Um, and having said that, I got to AA, probably some of these... You know, everything pre-clean is all a blur and all the uh, little details. Sometimes I write down dates and stuff just to try to figure out what happened when, but it's kind of a blur, so I give averages. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think I first came to AA uh, probably in the late 80s. I was one, I had to go to an AA meeting, just um, uh, my uh, my, well, I was in school and I had to go to AA meeting. That was part of like doing it, but that didn't register. My father was an alcoholic and I knew everybody was an alcoholic. That's as much as I got. And then uh, I went to a meeting um, probably in the early, uh, late 90s, early, uh, I mean, early 90s, um, because I knew my roommates and I were all drinking too much. We all went to a meeting together. We got sober for five months. Uh, we got sober together and actually started drinking again together. Uh, whether or not it planted a seed, I don't know. Um, but I did leave that relationship to, uh, to I knew I had to stop drinking. Um, I knew I was miserable and uh, um, drank a lot in that relationship. It was in between relationships that life really got kind of uh, depressing and I couldn't handle and I drank more. But I got out of that relationship uh, and because um, I needed to quit drinking and what happened? Jeez, Louise, I think I just started drinking more uh, and um, alone. Uh, I, my, you know... I had been drinking since probably uh, fifth grade. I think my first blackout was in seventh grade. Uh, I came from a family of alcoholics, um, and maybe even younger than that. I started tipping into the, uh, uh, my mom's liqueur, making apricot liqueur. Uh, and she used to say, who's eating the apricots? Who's drinking the liqueur? Uh, and it was an Irish Catholic violent home uh, that was scary. I was the only girl. Uh, I was probably knew I was queer, um, macho kind of thing, and it was an uncomfortable home, uh, uh, a lot of good, but a lot of chaos, and I probably, as Kim said, you know, some of it saved me. I needed to be chilled, and I started doing it then, but every single bit of my socialization, as early as I can remember, going from seventh grade on, uh, I knew by that time I was drinking, because I knew that there was, uh, like, a field trip, I wanted to bring the alcohol, and um, as soon as I had alcohol, I knew I wanted it, um, because, uh, it was any relationship that had any emotions or intimacy or feelings. If I could add alcohol to that, I could um, tolerate it. And I could also, at that time, show you how I felt, um, which, you know, I could express my love. Uh, and there was a lot of it. Uh, uh, and there was more of it, the more alcohol that was, um, some, and some of that was authentic, you know. Uh, but... So it was there always, and so from there on in, every bit of my socialization up through high school and college was uh, alcohol. And as college, I was running two worlds, I, uh, which was a miracle I even got to college. Uh, but, you know, drunk by day, drinking, and would make it to school. Uh, and so, anyway, that relationship, when start, life started to happen, uh, it was when I... so. When I got out of that relationship, I think it was like I was working. I was a, a person who was now going to take care of themselves and was working. And maybe in outside of a relationship, I realized it was I had no skills 
to deal with life. And here I was now an adult, and I think it got very messy then. Um, you know, there was, you know, the whole drinking with, uh, sleeping with strangers, wrecking cars all my life, all that. So alcohol, uh, waking up, not knowing what I had done, it was always led me to the drugs that I wanted to do. I would tell people next day, what had I done? And they would tell me, I, was, I would describe what I was doing. They'd say, oh, you, you were freebasing or uh, describe what I was doing. Oh, you were doing opium, you know? So, uh, and here I was this little, I thought I was all tough when you added alcohol and, uh, Drugs like I want to go to the top guy and get the best drugs, uh, and I was like a nurse uh, in a nursing dress back then. So it was like two crazy different worlds. Um, so I came to AA, and uh, uh, um, and really I'm going to say Alanonic, but relationship drama uh, and not being able to be a person outside of relationship and functioning in the world. Um, became very apparent, and I started drinking at that, and then the drinking was no fun anymore. Um, I would just drink till I puked, and, uh, and I remember calling an AA hotline. I got to an AA meeting, and uh, I shared from the floor as a newcomer. I was surrounded by people that wanted to help me. I was um, probably, you know, uh, falling into like uh, clinical depression. I, uh, I weighed 30 pounds less than I do now. Uh, and uh, I was kind of uh, going down. And people tried to help me. Uh, and uh, it, it was way too much for me. Uh, somebody tried to sponsor me. I have a little, you know, try to pull, get me to their house and try to help out. And somebody actually got me to take time off work, which was helpful. I managed not to kill myself. I managed to start to get some, uh, to get therapy. Uh, and I couldn't believe that I didn't drink anymore. So I uh, kept not drinking. And I never drank again. I believe uh, it was 1992 or 93 that I stopped drinking. Uh, and I never wanted to do it again. And that was probably a miracle. People say, why didn't you drink again? I don't think, I think some part of me knew I'd never stop. And I also knew that I hated alcohol uh, for what it had done to my family. Um, I don't know. It was the best thing I had going for me. It was one of the few things I had done right. Uh, and, and probably there was an ego. I was a family of alcoholics who uh, I didn't drink. You know, there was probably a lot of, ah. but um, I just didn't drink again. But I also, maybe I didn't because I started medicating myself. But uh, I, uh, the therapy, you know, I think it was, uh, it was a miracle for me not to commit suicide at that time. Uh, I, um, uh, I don't think about it all very much, but, uh, um, you know, I didn't turn to AA. I went to AA, but I also uh, had therapy and a lot of things got better. Uh, my life certainly was less chaotic. Um, somewhere in there I smoked pot. And there was a period of time that I probably came back to AA and I did get caught up in, um, you know, I had a, a couple different bottoms. That One was um, uh, um, cocaine became crank and it became a quick bottom. It would be like I would keep below the pot and then I added cocaine, cocaine became crank and I came down really quick. I ended up going back to the rooms of AA, which uh, again was a miracle. Uh, I think I was always around the back rooms, but um, I don't know what kept driving me back here because it just, it still wasn't in me to share how I felt uh, with you. It was, I didn't come from a family who talked about their feelings. I didn't, um, 
I didn't know that you had what I wanted, and quite honestly, I, d I was not a person that could hear what was going on. Uh, I had little snippets, but I didn't see the steps on the wall, I don't think. I don't think I saw the traditions. I don't think I heard the promises. You know, this head was very busy. I was, uh, I was, I was not outside pain. I was just pain. Uh, you know, I was like in the back of the room. And I'll tell you, going back all the way, some people are still around from when I quit drinking. Uh, every time, people always kept trying to help me. Uh, there were people that kept extending the hand. And when it finally hit, I, I mean, it was so powerful. Um, so uh, I came back a few times, and I was caught up with my date. It was like, ah, I didn't drink, about, you know, all that. Like, oh, I had 10 years at that time. I didn't drink. And... Um, um, you know, I stayed for a year once. I got into a relationship in the rooms. That relationship uh, ended, and uh, and I, I think to talk about that. You know, I uh, it was I know why they said you don't get involved in a year. We went out traveling for six months. It came back. Uh, that broke up. Dating went on with somebody else, and uh, I didn't I didn't have a foundation. I didn't share with people how I was feeling. I didn't know what was safe, uh, and I started taking Xanax, uh, and. Um, and when I talk about drugs, it's, it's like this is medication that was not prescribed. And if it was prescribed, I didn't take my prescribed medicine as prescribed. So, uh, so just to be clear about me on drugs, you know, I, I do know a lot about medication. And I, uh, I, I got actually helped other people get off Xanax in that time. Um, and uh, some of it I, maybe I needed. I don't know if alcohol and drugs saved my life. This is just my story. And uh, I couldn't tolerate it, so I was... Uh, Anyway, I, um, I had come to AA in 2011, maybe 2010, or I think I was always here. Truly, my life before I got clean is a blur uh, in, in, when it comes to alcohol and drugs. But I, uh, I, in 2010, uh, a lot started happening in my life, and I did know people here, and I think I, uh, people, I knew people. I was going, I kind of had a home group. I kind of, and I was like, I think I was doing a step group with people. I, I was trying to, like, do this thing, but I had a lie, and I didn't know I had a lie. But I, um, I had gone to, um, and, and my life was chaos. My life needed AA. Everything I know now about the steps and what we use and apply it to our lives was happening. It was happening. It was happening in all walks of my life. There was... Um, you know, people I cared about were uh, my family structure was changing. It didn't work for me anymore with my brothers. Uh, uh, somebody I cared about very much was dying, and sh uh, she was in hospice, and I was like primary. Uh, you know, there was so much happening to, by today's standard in recovery. It was, it was you know, coming unfrazzled. Um, so I, uh, I took, I, I had, uh, in the meantime, I had a kidney stone, and I was sent home with oxycodone. And what I know now is when I came home and put that oxycodone in the uh, cabinet, uh, put it away, that wouldn't happen today. So there was a difference, and I put it away. I didn't think, you know, there were, uh, yeah, put it away. I ended up taking one. And when I took uh, it, I wanted more immediately. So during those years, 
uh, of uh, not doing alcohol, there was probably a low usage of things here and there. Again, a blur, not a lie anymore. But um, it was uh, things like when I took the cocaine and it turned into crank, there were things that took me down fast. And I, it was very clear I had a problem with that and I would come back to AA. So when I took the oxycodone, I wanted it immediately, I wanted more. Uh, and I was nauseous and I took anti-nausea medication. I took another one. And I found myself uh, going to uh, what was becoming a home group on Friday nights. Uh, my sponsor at that time that was trying to help me, son had had an accident and died. Uh, so that, uh, and died in an accident, which was tragic. That was going on and we were in a step group together. And um, uh, I found myself on a Friday night, instead of being at that meeting online, looking for oxycodone. Uh, how much oxycodone I could take with Tylenol that wouldn't kill me in one shot because all I had was oxycodone with Tylenol. And then on another screen, I had uh, how to get oxycodone without Tylenol uh, and buy it online. Um, So, like, when people talk about a moment of grace, like, you know, there was lots of moments of grace when I came to AA, and it was grace that kept me coming back to AA um, over and over and over again. But something happened that night that was completely beyond my control, and what happened was, uh, I, I think I said out loud to myself, there will never be enough oxycodone for you. And I turned away from the screen that night, and I went to the front, I walked to the Friday night meeting. You know, I was just in a, a weird, weird haze of, uh, of reality, which soon I'd, of which I wasn't sure what was going to happen, because it was going to happen next. I went to that meeting, and that sponsor was there. Uh, you know, I was a shit show, man. Here I was trying to get a lot of help, and uh, there was something so off. Uh, and uh, I said to her, I need to talk to you. And she said, well, she took me upstairs. And I said, I'm taking oxycodone. And she was like, oh, you know. And I, all of a sudden, I said, I've been taking drugs all these years. And um, that was as much a revelation to me as it was to her, to to me saying it out loud. I honestly, uh, that was, uh, 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 everything that was being said in AA for what was now almost 20 years, I started to hear. And one of them was the honesty. You know, it was like I heard how it works for the first time when I heard it after that. But she took me downstairs. She said, you know, you're going to go downstairs and you're going to introduce yourself as a newcomer. And I was sorry that I had said what I had said. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, in, um, it, was, it was because I was terrified. I mean, well, I don't say that I was, but I, I was deer in headlights. I, um, I, had, I, I was either in or out at that point. Uh, and it was, the truth was out and it wasn't going back. There was no more going back. But what I also got in that moment was the first time ever I knew exactly what 
I was, that I was an alcoholic and an addict, and that I had been all this time, and all the reasons I, my parents who I probably drank over were dead by this time, my uh, every th relationship, that everything that had happened, everything, the, the landscape of my life had changed over and over and over again, except for me, and I was the only one responsible for it. I did not get that before, and so she, you know, a deer in headlights, she, um, she, she saved my life uh, in many ways. She set me up in a way I was not a person who raised my hand in meetings. I was not a person, all this stuff. And I also was a person who picked and choose what people, uh, you know, I wasn't going to take, you know, I, oh, you know, I'm not going to do what you think. You piss me off if you tell me what to do. You know, I also, that, uh, that reality of what had happened to me and that the denial that I had fallen into so many times uh, hit me that I was willing to do anything anybody said. I mean, I, anything she told me to do, I was going to do. And so what she told me to do, which was uh, two days later, she called me in a room and you know, in an AA meeting, and, and I had pills in my pocket, and she said, you want to share? I was like, I just realized, you know, I just stopped drinking, I've been taking pills all these you know, time, and uh, pills in my pocket, I don't know if I can do this. You know, that was the next day. And then she, I don't know who she talked to or prior, but she said, you're, she sent me to NA. And she sent me, she said, you're gonna go to NA and you're gonna go to two meetings a day for 30 days. But then when I got three months off of work, she said, you're gonna go to two meetings a day for 90 days. You're gonna raise your hand in both of those meetings. You're gonna call two people before and after the, both of those meetings. And you're gonna call me in the evening and you do literature. And if not, you're gonna go to a treatment program. And so, and I know that because uh, I said, okay, uh, you know, and all that shit that was happening in my life was still happening. And I thought, I don't have time for this, but I, uh, life stopped. You know, she set me up with a treatment program and I went to NA uh, and NA saved my life um, from, you know, for many reasons. One, I'm not sure the shame I carried where that would have taken. They were very clear though about drugs. There was no, you know, I don't know, I was clear, but there, you know, it was like, didn't matter what you were doing, alcohol was drugged, didn't no matter how much uh, you did it, how frequently you did it, needed to hear it. And they also swooped in and saved me. You know, I was a wreck. Um, so, and I had to share, I had to raise my hand. I had to raise my hand in two meetings a day. And so when I hit NA, I hit it hard. So I was like, and I didn't know how to talk. I, was, I have only, I've been in AA for 20 years. I've, I've my sponsor too. I've been reading my hand. I have to go two meetings a day for 20 days. I've got one day today. You know, and what they said, I mean, that was it. They were like, whoa, you know. Uh, and NA actually also was like the first place. I was like, I felt calm. I was like with my people, you know. I was like, there's so much happening. And, you know, we don't, we don't, um, uh, you know, share, go, share meetings and people are like, Lily, you keep coming back. And it was like so powerful to me, you know. Uh, and, you know, gave me a banana and thought, you know, you might have a seizure and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and two meetings a day, I raised my hand and that's all I could say. All I could say was I was in drama. And so the first NA meeting I went, they said, try not to use in between meetings. Uh, and that was, the first meeting and the next, and then, and then come to another meeting. And so the next day I was able to do that. So I think it was my second NA meeting that I went to a meeting, didn't use in between meetings and I went back. And for, uh, for those 90 days I raised my hand uh, in those meetings and was surrounded by love and phone calls and it began. So I have less than five minutes, but my recovery began, we have one minute. That's where it began. It took all those years to get there. And uh, I just got seven years, um, uh, August 15th. And, um, and it truly, it feels like it's just starting in many ways. I mean, this head, I'm starting to hear people. 
Uh, I'm actually not, um, uh, the steps have blown my mind. I finally, uh, I, by the grace, I went to Al-Anon at a year, which I was because why can't I stay clean? And I do believe that program has actually helped me enormously um, deal with, with life and people. I think you can get anything you want from any meeting, but um, that little combination of things has helped me. Um, uh, there was, I had a lot of shame. I had a lot of... Uh, uh, just so much pain and stuff, and uh, and I think Teresa said the other night. You know, I think that people, um, no, it, when you come in, you're, there's nothing you can say that's going to make somebody stay, or there's nothing you're going to say that's going to make somebody go when you're actually here. And I do believe that I, there was something that I was going to hold on to my seat no matter what. But I'll tell you, uh, there's been some times this time. If it wasn't like I knew that I was an addict and I need to stay that I, I would have, uh, that I wouldn't have made it. I mean, I've held on to my seat. At six years, life really got kind of uh, painful and hard, and life started happening, and relationships shifted, and you know, all that stuff, and it was like, hold on to your, uh, hold on to your seat. Uh, and, uh, and, and with that, every time things happen, and you hold on to your seat, and this is what's happened for people around here that, you know, you, you start to learn how to live and you start to change. And uh, I am, uh, you know, I am, I feel like I'm changing so dramatically that uh, uh, sometimes it's just like, wow, I had the funniest conversation at pizza um, with, I don't know where she is, it, uh, uh, just about, you know, you know, when you stop doing stuff you did and then that blank space, I'm like, am I apathetic or am I serene? What is going on? Like, <laughs> Uh, like, uh, but, you know, step six and seven. So, uh, uh, yeah, you know what happened when I, too, when I became an addict? I'm going to tell anybody in the room that doesn't feel like they're part of this group, I never felt like I was part of it. And when I, that moment where I said that I was an addict and I knew I was an addict, it was the first time I wasn't separate from everybody in the room. I knew that that everybody was uh, struggling. Like, I was finally not the most painful person, pained person in the room, although, you know, we all... Have it, but it was like I wasn't separate from the group, uh, and I belonged, and uh, and all the people that are uh, like I can be that person now. That when somebody comes back, if they have to, if that's part of their path, that uh, that I'm, you know, continue to extend the hand without judgment. You know, we're all on, a, you know, I, we're all on a path, and that path looks very different for everybody. And uh, um, anyway, I'm so grateful for the uh, AA, Al Anon, and NA. Sure. 12 steps. I've got a I've got a box. Or is this too high? <laughs> Oh, I'm getting a nosebleed up here. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Alice. I'm an alcoholic. And you know what? I have alcoholism. That's right. Alcoholism, not alcoholism. Really. And it's, 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 it's a one day at a time. And, you know, after hearing a lot of the shares and things last night, I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones truly in my heart, and maybe you can identify with that too. We, it's my opinion, I don't speak for AA, but I think we are the lucky ones. 
We are. You know what? It's a 24-hour program. If somebody got up at 5 a.m., they'd have more sobriety than I do because it's a one-day-at-a-time program. I got up at 7 or 8. Do, do, the, do the math. It's a very human program. It's forgiving. It's passionate. You know, I picked up a 35-year chip December 7th. I always love saying, I got unbombed on Pearl Harbor Day because <laughs> December 7th is Pearl Harbor Day. Uh, I grew up in San Francisco. Grew up way out by the beach on 45th and Terraville. Sand dunes all over the place. I was a tomboy. I'd walk through those sand dunes to come home to my grandma who basically uh, raised me. My parents both worked. I loved taking things apart. I loved being artistic. There was a bottle of Jim Beam down in the cupboard underneath the sink. I remember I, I had colic all the time. I had, oh, my teeth hurt. Really, Irish Catholic family, they would bring out the bottle of Jim Beam, and I still have the big spoon, and they would massage my gums. My grandma would massage my gums when my, when my teeth were coming in. I'd get a lot of stomach aches. Oh, a little bit of the Jim Beam, you know, and you know what? I don't need to go on. You know where I'm going with this. I didn't have a chance, right? However, I really learned from my grandmother that unconditional love that we talk about in the rooms. My grandma taught me how to pray. She taught me that, you know, I have a higher power, a god slash goddess of my understanding that really loves me. So, you know, that little part of the program that I know it's, it's challenging for some folks. It was kind of easy for me. I, 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 I really understood. Uh, my dad had a lot of mental and emotional um, challenges. He wasn't in the house a lot. He was back and forth in the VA hospital. Our, our uh, medicine cabinet was riddled with drugs, all sorts of drugs, because my, they, were, they were my dad's drugs. So I really learned from a, you know, an early age that you know, what you put in here could make you act differently or maybe could make you better, whatever. My mom was a teacher. Those gals knew how to party. She would have faculty parties a lot. And I'd be crawling around on all fours, I was little, and I'd be looking at the, the what was it, old fashions in Manhattans, and I'd be eating the maraschino cherries and drinking a little bit. So alcohol was really kind of, it was always around me. I, I didn't really drink through school. Uh, my dad was, like I said, you know, it was kind of like having a big brother. It wasn't really like having a dad. He had, you know, a lot of um, setbacks on a year, you know, every, every month, a few months, it really felt like something different. So, you know what, I towed the line. I was basically a good girl. I didn't really start drinking until, well, Shall I tell you? Oh, yes. Um, I was a bartender one time. I was 15 years old. Um, my family has a lot of Jesuit priests in, in the family. My godmother, I called her my Auntie Mame, Marriott, had her whole house redone. 
the things upholstered, yada, yada. Well, she had a housewarming. So me and the Jesuit priests and my family and uh, a few other people were there enjoying the party. And well, I guess a few hours went into the party and they said, oh, let Alice be bartender. What were they thinking? So I poured myself a glass, actually it looked like a milkshake, and well, I hurled projectile vomit, you know, all over the place. So that was really kind of like my first drunk. Hey, it was a blackout. I know what, um, what we hear about blackouts. What, it's like I had an, an allergic re reaction to alcohol. So I really cooled it on, on drinking, et cetera. It wasn't until I came out as a lesbian. I didn't really drink in the dyke bars. There was Amelia's. There was um, a lot less. I mean, a lot more. Peg's Place. <laughs> we remember some of those. Uh, I drank at the boys' bars. Uh, I got a job. Uh, I was, uh, was teaching. I got laid off. Got a major resentment because I got laid off with Prop 16. And uh, I joined up with the phone company. I drove a ladder truck. I was one of the first women pole climbers in the late 70s. That was really a lot of fun because you know what? My, my, I was stationed in the Castro and Castro and Mission, south of Market. My whole crew, except for a couple of buddies, were all gay men. Well, I'll tell you. I thought I had arrived. You know, here was this rigid little kid who had to really toe the line. Well, my mom was also a principal of a school, so, you know, I had to really toe the line. Well, boy, oh boy, I got with the phone company. Sex, drugs, and disco. You know, this was San Francisco in the late 70s. And uh, they would always come back to the, to the um, you know, the garage and brag about their sexual exploits, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, they dragged me around to, to Trocadero Transfer to the end up. Yeah, drugs are a little bit of my story, too. And I felt really, I felt like I had lived. I felt like I had arrived. I really did. Well, you know, things, things, were, things were happy, things were fun for a while, and then you have fun with, you know, the not-so-good things, and then, then a whole bunch of not-so-good things. So I, um, uh, even though I had a lot of fun, things started spiraling down, and I started going to the therapist, and just didn't, didn't connect the dots, and she said, you know, she said, why don't you maybe limit some of your drinking, maybe just drink on the weekends. Well, you know what happened, they, they, they changed me from in, installing phones to repairing phones, it was a promotion. So what, was, what did I get? I got weekends. So really, this little alcoholic, I didn't know whether to drink my cocktails Wednesday or Friday, you know. I would not be here if it wasn't for good old Ricky. She said to me, Alice, really, normal people don't have to go through this, figuring out when they're going to drink their, their two cocktails that they promised. That got me into, she says, why don't, you, why don't you check out some AA? I said, oh no, they're just such losers, et cetera, et cetera. Oh no, they're just boring. She said, try it. So I did. And I went to a meeting uh, down on Cesar Chavez, actually Army Street, uh, WAC, Women's Alcohol Coalition. It was called Popcorn on Fridays. I went and 
they asked me questions that were like not yes, no questions. They, they were actually, they were fun. They dragged me to coffee and dragged me to fellowship. And before I knew it, this was before cell phones, I had a little book and all the AA people would be in the letter Z where my friends would be A to Z. Over the years, guess what? The AA people, their names and numbers filtered in to the A to Z and fellowship was, was part of what I did. I um, got involved in living sober. I got involved in service. I felt like I really belonged. I was really comfortable, not in the very beginning, but it, it stuck because this is what happened. I did all my slipping before I came here. I tried it on my own. Even my, even my, my drug addict friends like me, they go, girl, you're so much easier to be around now. Oh, gosh, you're so much fun. I go, well, what do you mean, David? Hi, David. Uh, he said, I don't know, something's changed for you. Something shifted. You know, you don't do drugs and drink with me anymore, but you know what? You're more real and you're more easy to be, for, me, for me to be around. You know, that was in the middle of the AIDS epidemic. Boy, those, those middle 80s, my gosh. The people that we lost, I, I, would, I would go and I would get the BAR and I'd sit down with my best friend Dot and we'd, we'd look and uh, we would just look and cry and, and, and just see the names that, that were in front of us. And I really learned a lot from, from the gay men in the meetings. I thought, my gosh, if they can, if they can contend with this, and still be sober, there must be something to this AA. There, there, really, there really must be something. Uh, you know, I ended up um, working in the, AIDS, in the AIDS field. I ended up working in the jails. And those people at 850 Bryant and at San Bruno Jail, they kept me sober. You know why? I did a lot of HIV 101 with people. I did a lot of recovery work with people. They knew that I was in recovery. They knew they could talk to me. And I would see them coming in with their orange jumpsuit, both men and women. I go, what happened? 99% of everybody that I asked that of said, ah, stop going to meetings. I stopped going to meetings. We get so much here in this program, it's, it stays with me. It's, it's, something, it's something that we always have. I always try to remind myself that, you know what? I got my program in my pocket. I have my higher power at my back. I am never, ever alone. I'm never alone. I got to, I think, the early 90s, and I couldn't figure out who my higher power was. I, you know, a lot of years of, of Mary and the saints and Catholicism, I really came to a crossroad. I go, I started like going to all the bookstores and getting a lot of goddess books out and getting Buddhism books out. And I, I, and I, just, I, I just learned to pray this way, go, look, 
you got to help me. I am really confused. And I was standing um, uh, at Copperfield Books up in uh, Sebastopol. And I just prayed, not out loud, but I said, you, you just got to show me wh where you are. And I have had like, you know, 40 dollars worth of books there and something said look at the look 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 over there and I looked over there there is a little girl I can see her in my mind she had long blonde hair she had a parochial school uniform on and no words were exchanged she had not a cell phone <laughs> she looked at me and she went like that and the, it was a holy card of our blessed virgin mother and I'm thinking, oh, great, you know, I'm about ready to drop $45 on all these books, but I bought them anyway. And I read them, and I read different ones. Something said, I'm doing dishes up at the Russian River. Something said, look out the window. And I turned around, and I looked, and there was a tree. And the 4 o'clock light was hitting it, and it looked like a torso of a goddess or a woman like this, outstretched. And I said, oh, okay, I, I, think, I think I'm kind of getting it. I think I'm kind of getting it. And then the next Monday, I had to drove out, drive out to San Bruno Jail. And I'm driving in the little city car. And there was a beautiful grove of cypress trees that I would pull over before I went in there, <laughs> try to ground a little bit, try to meditate a little bit. Well, this particular day, I'd always get out of the car. This particular day, <laughs> I decided a lot of times I would just stand with my, my spine up against the tree and just ground. This particular day, I thought, okay, I'm going to hug this tree. <laughs> okay. So I face planted myself into this tree and hugged it. Something said, back up a couple of inches and look straight ahead. Okay, so I open my eyes and I look straight ahead and I saw my eye. I saw my face. I'm backing up and I just flooded with emotion and flooded with gratitude and I realized that someone had put a shard of glass about this big into the tree, and the tree grew around it. It grew around it. So that was my higher power talking to me. I asked, please, can you show me who you are? And I realized for me that my higher power is everywhere. In you, in me, and around. <sighs> yeah. You know, I really believe in awareness, acceptance, and action in that order. That's really what I've been working on lately. Whenever I just run in there and try to force solutions or my will, not thine will, it always blows up in my face. It always does. You know, the, the, the theme of, of this living sober is about the bondage of self. Relieve me of the bondage of self. You know, when I look at any of the prayers, I hear these petitions. I hear these kind of cries out for help, saying, 
show me the next thing to do. Reveal yourself to me. Help me get past this. I put my, my trust in you. Please show me the way. And I feel that I have been shown the way in AA. I get to be shown the way through you, through a lot of your stories, through your struggles. I get to remember that halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. When I, I used to be a preschool teacher. When I heard that, I go, oh, they, these people, these people are pathetic. That's baby talk. But if I'm too hungry, if I'm too angry, if I'm too lonely, if I'm too tired, I'm really no good for myself. That's why I would reach for the drugs or the alcohol. But today, I really learned that I'm enough right here, and you teach me that. You teach me that I'm enough and that all I have to do is show up and tell the truth and be of service and pray and be with other alcoholics and addicts because I'm an only child and you're my extended family. <laughs> you're, my, you're, my, you're, my, um, you're my chosen family. You know, when uh, my mom passed, that was a deal breaker. I always had this little secret that, you know, if mommy got sick and passed, I'd get to maybe have some Valium. You know, I didn't have Valium. I just came to meetings, and I was just snots and crying. And I had one newcomer sit next to me. She says, I have a week. How many days do you have? <laughs> 26 years. And I was just, you know. And uh, you know what I've got on today? Jeans. I've got Peg Laird's jeans on today. Good old Peg. Peg taught me that you can't save your ass and your face at the same time. Now, can you? We get to be real here. We get to show up and tell the truth and say what's really going on. And I get to try to be right-sized and... You know, I do gratitude lists in the morning. I write in the evening where I get to kind of see a little bit of a 10-step, kind of see my resentments, see what, how I messed up, how I could be a little bit better. I send, uh, I exchange gratitude lists with some of you out here. And um, I try to keep it simple. And one last thing, it's, it's, it's not, well, I guess it is scientific. I learned this from a scientist who was in AA, and she taught me that resentment and, and gratitude live in two different places in our brain. And we can't be in both those places at the same time. So if we keep in the gratitude and, and the, the happy things, if we stay in that, in that place, you know what? We're going to be fine. Um, Mommy died, and I had to go to, I ended up going to Langley Porter for some, um, oh, what is it, when somebody dies, um, thank you, yeah, right, and I was in a group, and you know, this is really funny, 15 of those things that they told me what to do that we learned, I knew already, you know why? I learned it in AA, I learned it here, so we're the lucky ones, I think. Uh, and it's one day at a time, and I'm so happy I could do service here, and that's it.
Thank you, all of you. Thanks. You guys are awesome. <laughs> you really are. Um, I forgot to mention in the beginning that, um, that the session was recorded. So, um, so there will be, if, um, their, their talks will be available for you out in the lobby a little later. Um, so let's circle up and close with a serenity prayer.